This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Matt Straub here. Welcome you to the Roto World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Before we get going, a quick programming update. The Wednesday episode of this show will be going on a summer hiatus over the next few weeks, and we'll be back with more Wednesday episodes in the early part of July. In the meantime, Mike Gallagher is regularly dropping new episodes every Friday. Today on the show, we're talking NBA mock draft again with Raphael Johnson. Uh, draft only about two and a half weeks away as we record this, set for June 20th. Raph, the assumed number two pick, John Morant, widely expected to go to the Grizzlies, was actually set for a minor knee scope on Monday. Adrian Wojnarowski reports Morant was expected to be fully recovered three to four weeks after that surgery. Did seeing this raise any red flags for you at all? Did it set anything off on your radar or really you think there's nothing to see here? I don't really think there's much to see here. Obviously, whenever you hear a knee procedure, it tends to raise eyebrows. But you know, from the reports, it appears to be more of a minor and procedure, kind of cleaning some things up in the knee. I think my one concern is that is how much we'll be able to see from him in summer league, um, regardless of who picks him, in terms of getting used to a new system, because a lot of the guys on your team in summer league aren't going to be your teammates when the season begins. So, you know, it would be nice for him to be able to be out there, you know, full go from the start to get used to the system and what his new team will want him to run, assuming it's Memphis. And they have the Mike Conley situation still hovering over that franchise, too. So, you know, it would be nice for him to be out there. But with a knee injury, no matter how minor the procedure may be, I have a hard time believing that a team's going to put him out there for much time during summer league. Yeah, well, you led me to the next thing I want to talk about. You've obviously been following the draft as closely as anyone at Roto World. So with Mike Conley under contract and set to make $32.5 million this upcoming season, Obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. What do you like? What are you envisioning at, with Morant? You know, assuming he is in Memphis, as kind of the most likely scenario or another scenario we might see unfold. I mean, I think people are kind of having maybe a hard time wrapping their heads around what to expect from Morant. Like, is he going to be a guy we don't see as a starter till later in the season? Is there a chance Conley gets traded? You know, much before that, based on what you've read. What are some of the things you've read? Some of the things you've heard? Some of the things you're thinking about? Yeah. The Conley situation is interesting because you would think that, you know, they would be inclined to move him. Um, he's long said that he's not willing to stick around for another rebuilding process, uh, which is perfectly understandable. You know, he's a guy who's, <laughs> you know, he's an established pro. He, he's fallen short of the all-star game on a few different occasions. And when you're part of a rebuild, you have to be spectacular to get that kind of all-star consideration. So, one would imagine that Memphis would be looking to move him. Um, he's in the final year of his contract, so that may help kind of offset that cap number that he has of, what, $32 million. So this is a situation where I think in terms of Morant, I don't know if he starts early on, especially if they hold on to Conley. But as the season progresses, you know, you get to that trade deadline and you think Conley may be an addition where he can help a team that's making a playoff push which we kind of thought was the case this season, but he was never moved. 
that's when I think you really see John Morant move into that top tier. Not really top tier in terms of NBA point guards, but that starting point guard role that we kind of expect him to have. Um, obviously, if they move Conley during the summer, it's going to be John Moran's job from the start. Obviously, people are kind of, you know, after what they saw in the NCAA tournament and just during the season, people are basically expecting this dude to just be a beast the second he steps on NBA mm-hmm. court after averaging 24.5 points, 10 assists, nearly two steals and two threes per game for Murray State this past season. Do you, is that how you're envisioning it? Like, just give the guy 30 minutes a game and, and he's a fantasy dynamo? I don't know if I'd go that far because, you know, in terms of the, the game at the NBA level, while you have more room to make plays, those defensive coverages can be a lot more deceptive than the college game too. And this is a guy who averaged about five turnovers per game. Obviously, he had the ball in his hands a lot, so you'd expect the turnovers to be a bit higher than he would be for your, your standard point guard. That being said, he can be a bit of a home run hitter at times when it comes to the passes, taking some risks where you don't necessarily need to make them. That's going to be an area where he's going to need to adjust at the next level, whether it's at Memphis or if he happens to go, you know, somewhere else in the draft order. Obviously, I don't think he's going to go number one, but, you know, Memphis has tried to play it a little bit like they're not fully fully um, locked in on drafting Morant. I don't think people are falling for that, but, you know, it's a draft. Anything can happen. So, so an immediate adjustment potentially for Morant, you know, some things he'll have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Long-term, though, are you on board with this guy? Like, is there anything you've seen that makes you doubt him, you know, as a long-term fantasy stud? I'm on board with him long-term. You know, this, I think he'll have a good rookie year as well. I just don't think, if you pick him expecting numbers numbers similar to what he put up last season at Murray State, you're going to be disappointed. I don't think he's going to put up that type of production, but I think he's going to be a good player early on and just get better as he gets more used to the NBA game and the pick-and-roll game at that level. All right, and some other draft injury news. Sean Strani reporting that Cam Reddish is undergoing a minor procedure for a core muscle injury that will knock him out for six weeks. Now, it's interesting to note that, you know, uh, Shams also reported that the injury bothered Reddish while he was at Duke, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if we really how much we want to put into that. Have you thought about that at all? Do you think the injury will affect his draft position at all? Or do you still see him, you know, potentially going at that number eight spot to the Hawks? You know, I kind of felt his draft position is a bit more volatile in some of the other lottery prospects because he even interviewed with the Knicks uh, this past week. So I don't know if he goes that high. You know, LA is another possibility. I kind of think Atlanta is where he ultimately ends up. But Man, he, he's in a position where I can see him going as high as three or four. I can see him going, you know, as low as 10. Um, obviously, the core injury, given the time frame, he's not going to be playing in summer league. So there goes your chance to kind of you know, get an early preview of what he could potentially do at the next level. But, yeah, I, I think for him, it's going to be all about fit, where he goes. If he goes to a situation where he's not asked to be one of the, the main guys, so to speak, then I think he'll be okay. But if you ask him to be that, primary score i think he's going to have some trouble with his next stop yeah he's a he's a fascinating character in this mm-hmm. draft i think because as we talked about last time i mean he he has the size he he, he looks like he has yeah. all of the tools that he needs to be a really good nba player but you know will he obviously will he put together is a huge question uh, another interesting rumor uh, jonathan Giovanni of espn reported that the knicks who he mentioned a second ago have been thinking about doing something other than rj barrett with the number three pick one rumor included trading number three to the Atlanta Hawks for number eight 
and number 10. A story I read from Atlanta Journal-Constitution writer Michael Cunningham recently made that sound somewhat unlikely. But whatever the case, what do you make of all this Barrett talk? Do you think it's something more than just noise with the Knicks potentially going somewhere else at number three? I think think there's a little truth to the idea of them looking at other options. You kind of have to in their spot. You know, I know that Barrett is one of those three guys that many of us have penciled in as being closest to being sure things in this draft, along with Zion Williamson and John Morant. That being said, when you're the Knicks, you do have to cover all your bases. And even with the rumors about free agency, this is a team that was absolutely brutal this season. And when you talk about needs, they need talent. You know, obviously, Things can change if you bring in, say, Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving in free agency, but that's not a guarantee. And trading down, while I don't think it's going to happen, it's understandable that the rumors would come out just because of the amount of talent that this team needs. That being said, I think ultimately they take R.J. Barrett either for themselves or potentially, you know, the Anthony Davis, you know, conversations that have been had. Maybe he's part of a deal there, but. I think R.J. Barrett's going to be the third pick in his draft. It's just a matter of what the Knicks ultimately do with him. It's funny, you know, I was just thinking about it as as we were talking there. Like, it would be the most perfect just Knicks draft moment yeah. if, uh, if they took someone other than R.J. Barrett and mm-hmm. just watching the fan reaction, because I'm sure that's who the fans want at oh. number three. <laughs> just to see the, you know, the cutaway to the Knicks fans, yeah. uh, <laughs> their facial expression, <laughs> if they took someone else, is pr- was pretty great to think about. And not and I'm not meaning that as like a, as a jab at Knicks fans. It just it, it feels like something I could see that moment playing out. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jarrett Culver has kind of been, I don't know if I want to say presumed to go to the Lakers at number four, but certainly talked about. He he reportedly worked out for them this past weekend. Is that still what you're envisioning? You think that's the direction? You know, based on things you've heard that they're going to go. I think that's the direction they ultimately go. Darius Garland is another possibility, but. I think ultimately they're going to go for another guy who can potentially play off of LeBron James because, frankly, they they needed they needed to do that the last season in free agency. They ultimately got a bunch of guys who were who needed the ball in their hands and really couldn't shoot worth a lick. So that's where they got in trouble. Then LeBron got hurt and it was all downhill from there. Um, I think Culver, as we discussed in the last podcast, his shooting numbers in a system where he can play off the ball and be a supplementary piece. I think they're going to improve. Um, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well this season. But as a freshman, he was very good when he was playing alongside some other guys who kind of opened things up for him offensively. So I think he ends up in L.A., but that's a position where even more so than the Knicks at three, where the Lakers really have to keep all of their possible options open, even trades. You know, I know Anthony Davis has been a name that's come up ad nauseum ever since the trade deadline back in February, even before then when he demanded to trade. So I think the Lakers are in a situation where there are going to be a whole host of names that are considered between now and draft night. I sort of halfway hope that Culver doesn't go to LA just for fantasy purposes. Like it just doesn't feel like he he seems like a guy who could be, you know, make his value based on the fact that he does a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. But it obviously is a lot harder to do a little bit of everything when you're playing on the wing, you know, alongside LeBron James, who who does a lot of everything. (laughs) (laughs) So just oversimplifying a little bit. I just I don't know. I don't know if Culver would get enough of a chance there um, as a rookie. But but I really like the guy long term, as I've said before. 
So we're obviously uh, fascinated by the names near the top of the draft. We, we talk a lot about Zion, you know, Morant, Barrett. But this past season, it's worth noting, I think, that we saw a number of guys picked later in the draft emerge with some at least a little bit of fantasy value. Kevin Herter, the number 19 pick, had his moments for the Hawks. Landry Sham at number, six, number 26. Jalen Brunson, number 33, was good late in the year. All of these guys had some productive stretches. With that in mind, I want to ask you about some potential draft sleepers, a couple of the names that jump out at me as maybe being better than we expect are Romeo Lankford from Indiana and Kevin Porter Jr. from USC is, is another kind of intriguing wild card, a guy who got injured and suspended this past season, only averaged nine and a half points per game. What do you think of those two guys and any other draft sleepers who come to mind for you? Yeah, I like both. In, in terms of Lankford, he played most of the season with a, a torn ligament in his, in his thumb on his shooting hand. So that really impacted him. Uh, I think it's, it says something about him that he was willing to play through it and uh, kind of gut it out throughout the course of the season. Because, you know, we've seen in the past where other guys kind of shut things down early on. You know, obviously the Darius Garland situation is different in that he had a knee injury that had to be taken care of. But right. it would have been understandable if Langford, who is considered to be a lottery pick heading into the season, were to say, I'm going to get this surgery now and kind of let my body heal in preparation for the draft. Instead, he played through it. I think he's got a good skill set, and I think he could potentially be a really good pick in this draft. Kevin Porter, talent alone, I think he's one of the best players in this draft, but you've got the question marks in terms of the inconsistent production, and you have the suspension as well. Um, those are questions that he's going to have to answer in the, in the draft interview process, but you get him in the right situation with some good veterans, I think he could potentially be one of the steals of this draft. So Lankford averaged 16.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, a couple of assists, 0.8 steals, 0.8 blocks, 1.1 threes for Indiana. Only shot 27% on threes, but it sounds like we can kind of attribute some of that to that injury you were talking about before. And Porter, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a couple guys closer to the top of this draft who who didn't put up big numbers in college. Nasir Little, another guy who comes to mind who we've talked about. Mm -hmm. It just feels like a draft where, like, and in terms of fantasy, we're all going to be talking about the top guys, as I said. But I think one of these guys, whether it's Reddish or whether it's Porter or whether it's Little, is like going to have some sort of big early season box score, and all of a sudden we're going to be running to the waiver wire. Yeah, Porter Porter isn't a guy who's going to jump out of the gym athletically, but you put the ball in his hands, the manager's a flat-out score. It didn't happen at USC for a variety of reasons. As I mentioned, he's going to have to answer for that in the interview process, but I'm telling you, this is a guy, you get him in the right situation, he could potentially be a star at the next level. All right, so these are names that we're at least beginning to put on your radar if they weren't there already. One other thing I want to ask you, Raphael, um, mm-hmm. and this is obviously based on potential alone because and just the way we're talking about Porter, we don't know where anyone will land. But who are you know uh, one or two of the biggest potential draft busts for you? You know. We talk about the upside of guys. Maybe we should talk a little more about guys you're most concerned about. Are there any names that really jump out at you in that department? I think Tyler Hero, you know, in terms of his measurements at the combine weren't all that impressive. He's a good scorer overall, but I do wonder how his game would translate at the next level uh, in terms of his being able to kind of get his own shot against NBA college defenses. So I think a lot of people have not projected to go in the middle of the first round. So I think that's one name I think. I consider as a potential bust. Um, another one would probably be Grant Williams out of Tennessee. Extremely productive player at the college level. Two-time SEC player of the year, but 
I worry about his size. I think he measured he measured six, seven and a half, which is a bit small for a power forward. I don't know how much he'll be able to do as, as a three. So you're kind of hoping he'd be a mismatch four. But as we've seen in the NBA game over the years, those fours are much better at playing on a perimeter than in, in past eras. So that could be a tough situation for him, depending on where he lands in the draft. One other name I haven't asked you about, and it, it's a guy uh, who I think certainly has some intrigue surrounding him, a name we see a lot in the top 10 of mock drafts, including your latest one on Roto World. Sekou Dumboya mm-hmm. uh, is a guy, you know, a young guy. We've seen footage of him playing overseas in France. What do you make of this guy? And do you think he's a, he's a guy who, if he gets drafted, is hopefully going to come over right away? Or is he a guy a team is going to have to kind of wait a year on uh, before he comes over to the NBA? What, what are you expecting from him? I think given where he's projected to go, he'll be coming over right away. I think he'll be more of a defensive player early on. There's still some work to be done offensively, but given his size and positional versatility as a defender, I think he can guard threes, fours, or even some fives, depending on the lineup. That's where he can help a team early on. But offensively, I don't think he's going to give enough of a boost in terms of fantasy projections to make an impact on that end of the floor. Yeah, it looks like seems like he's improving as at least as a shooter. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, an, an intriguing character, but maybe not for this upcoming season in terms of fantasy. That is about it for us for this episode. A reminder to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, and rate and review as well. As I mentioned earlier, this Wednesday episode will return in the early part of July. In the meantime, Mike Gallagher will still be putting out new episodes on Fridays. You can follow Raphael on Twitter at RaphaelJ. I am at Matt Straub. Thank you for listening, everyone. Raph, thanks for taking the time, man. Great stuff from you today. That was good, as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.